Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. a series on the subject of money. We called it Generous Living. That's what we're calling it. Uh, and we will be continuing in this series for the next uh, three weeks. I am blessed by it. Uh, I have been getting uh, just rocked by it as I'm kind of planning and talking with my wife. And uh, so I know that it is definitely contributing to my life. So I hope it's contributing to yours. Um, and I look out there and I see some of you here last week came back this week. So obviously it wasn't that offensive. Uh, hopefully uh, we were able to help you understand why I think it is important uh, that the Bible, that the church not be afraid of the subject of money. And, um, and so if you were here last week and if you weren't, that's okay. I'll give you a bit of a recap. Um, with the help of the Apostle Paul, we were able to determine that money by itself is not evil. Money by itself is not evil. But it's the love of money. Right? It's the intense affection, the love of money that leads us into all kinds of evil. And so uh, I challenged you last week to ask yourself five questions um, to determine whether or not you are in danger of loving money. And we um, extracted these five questions from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10. And so as Way of a recap, we're going to go over these questions right now, and then we'll jump into today's message. So question number one, as you are evaluating whether you love money or not, the first question to ask is this, what gains are you currently prioritizing in your life, financial gains or spiritual gains? Now, 2019, anytime there's a new year, there's always opportunity for new goals, and I, what I'm asking you as a follower of Christ, what is top of your list, spiritual gains or financial gains. A second question to ask yourself is this. Are you content with the basics of life? And if you remember, we defined the basics as food. We defined it as clothing. And we defined it as shelter. Are you content with the basics of life? Question number three. Do you sin to obtain money? Or does your money lead you to sin? Do you sin to obtain money, or does your money lead you to sin? If you do, then you love money. Do you, are you an excessive gambler? Do you lie? Do you cheat? Do you manipulate? Do you lie on your taxes? Do you lie to make the sell? Most likely, your affection for money is leading you into sin. Number four, do you doubt God when you lack money? Do you doubt God when you lack money? Or how about this? Do you leave God when you have money? Finally, number five, the fifth question to ask yourself as to whether or not you are in danger of being in love with money is this. Do your finances make you physically ill? Is your financial situation making you physically ill? Are you laying awake at night? Are you breaking out in hives? Are you um, experiencing headaches? And in the end, here's what we concluded. Contentment flows from a heart that has learned to focus on what it has in Christ rather than what it doesn't have in this world. If you need the world more than you need Christ, there is an issue, an imbalance. But contentment flows from a heart that has learned to focus on what it has in Christ rather than what it lacks or doesn't have in the world. 
So if you missed that message or you just want to recap, you can definitely go back to our podcast. You can look up the title. It's Money in the Heart. But as for today, um, I want to move from the subject of the heart to the subject of debt. Debt just sounds like a terrible word, right? It just sounds like death. Debt and death kind of sound that way. Um, and so here's what I want to do. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to know that debt affects us all. It affects us all. Um, and let me show you what I mean. I'm, I'm going to list uh, the average American debt in five key areas as of June 2018. Now, before I show this first one, this is before, well, there you go, mortgage. There it is. Important thing. She did a great job. But here's what I want to say. Please don't laugh too hard as you live in the Bay Area, amen? The Bay is on another level. So although this is a little over $180,000, some of you might be thinking, I wish, I wish, I wish that would be a blessing in my life. Um, number two, um, besides mortgages, credit cards, amen? Yes, credit cards. Now, this number may make you feel a little better. This number might make you feel a little worse. Um, but there it is, a little over $15,000 in credit card debt. Number three, student loans. Now, let me give you a little bit of commentary because I think there's a generational disconnect with student loans. I think for a particular generation, this is quickly becoming the top headache of our time. It's especially frustrating, are you ready for this, if you didn't finish college and you're still paying for it. Those of you that don't have that debt are like, wow. It's especially frustrating if you invested in a particular kind of college or if you invested in a particular kind of degree that you feel like is not adding anything to your life. And Bible school students, please don't say amen. <laughs> Student loans right now are somewhere around 46950 but we can almost bring that to 40 we can round it up to about $47,000 number 4 auto loans about 27,669 and if you're like me and you're being honest I wonder how many thousands of those dollars of debt come by way of luxury and style rather than necessity how many extra thousand dollars are we piling up because we just kind of wanted the, this more stylish look? <laughs> Forgive us, Jesus. Average debt total in America uh, right now is right around, and we're, it, it's not, we're not adding all these up. We're saying with the average debt total in America is right around $134,000. Now, if these numbers have depressed you in any way, Get ready. I'm going to give you a secret to financial breakthrough. Come on. Are you guys ready? Here it is. Let's show it. Bam. Okay, that didn't go off as much as I, in my mind, I, I saw it. I, I, in my mind, I saw everyone just giggling and laughing and the joy. Some of you here are like, wait a minute, is that what he's really preaching about? This is why I don't go to church. I'm out. Um, this is definitely, I want you to know the key to your financial breakthrough is tithing, y'all. Just give to the church and your problems are going to be miraculously, you know, they're going to go away. 
Um, you know, we laugh at this, but we know that there are some ministries and ministers, unfortunately, that are peddling this kind of gospel. Um, but for the rest of our message, uh, I'm actually going to talk about three biblical truths regarding debt. And then, of course, we're going to end with the glorious gospel because the gospel resolves every tension in our lives. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you own a cattle on a thousand hills and that you don't need our money. Uh, we thank you that we don't pay and then you bless. And we thank you that you have paid and we are blessed. And so may we be a church that never forgets that. But may we be also be a church that out of a heart of worship, be, that we would be responsible with our finances and we'd steward them well so that you would get the glory, not our driveway, not our house, but you would get the glory in everything that we do. And I pray for anyone in here whose heart's beating fast, maybe because they love money or Maybe because they feel like, oh, we're going to talk about debt, and I feel like this debt is killing me. I pray if there's anyone feeling like they're going to get beat up this morning, we just, we just, we just breathe the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get beat up. You're just going to be ministered to and blessed by the word. Um, and so I just pray uh, just a level of peace and comfort, and that there would be some ease for any families in here right now that are dealing with the very real struggle and tension of money. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So three truths, and then, of course, we will finish with the glory, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the three truths. So we're going to start out with our first truth, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6. Again, we're just going to kind of snapshot verses, uh, so you don't necessarily have to turn there. If you want to, or you have your Bible app, you can pull it up real quick. Totally awesome. We'll have it for you uh, here on the screens. But the first truth is found in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6. Six. Now, let me give you a little uh, context regarding the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Um, God is instructing the nation of Israel on how it is to live among the nations and how it is to live among one another. Now, this is really important. Deuteronomy was not written to you. Deuteronomy was not written for you. I know I'm going to pop some of your bubble because we read the scriptures and like God saw. I want you to know that Deuteronomy was not written to you. It was not written for you. It sounds kind of harsh, but here's the reality. Um, just because God is prescribing something to the nation of Israel doesn't necessarily mean he's describing it to you and I or prescribing it for you and I. But here's the key. There are transferable principles from these prescriptions that I believe you and I can apply and benefit from. And so we're going to extract those. And, of course, Jesus says all of Scripture is fulfilled in me. And so when we read the Old Testament, we know that the Old Testament points to the King of glory, Jesus. And so we cherish the Old Testament because it's pointing to something that's coming, someone that's coming. There's an anticipation, and the Old Testament fills that out beautifully for us. And so we, we cherish that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some of these principles, we're going to use them, learn from them, and apply them to us. Amen? So let's go ahead and read this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6 says this. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. Again, this is God speaking to Israel, not you. <laughs> For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, 
but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Let's stop right there. Now, in this verse, God seems to be making a connection. In fact, it's not seem to be. God is making a connection between lending and ruling. And he also is making a connection between those that borrow and those that are being ruled. Are you with me? And it's from this verse that we can kind of pull out our first truth. And that first truth is this. The lender is the ruler and the borrower is the one being ruled. The lender is the ruler and the the borrower is the one being ruled. If we wanted to put this first principle into two simple words, debt enslaves. Look at Proverbs 22. Again, we'll have it for you here on the screen. Verse 7. Proverbs is a book full of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs is a wisdom book. Um, full of principles of wisdom for living. And listen to what Proverbs 22, 7 has to say. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, I don't think we need a Bible verse to know that this is true. Amen? All we have to do is get into a little debt. Now, I want you to think about it. If you have debt, and you're actively trying to pay it off, then there is a certain percentage of your week, there's a certain percentage of your day where you are not working for and earning for yourself, but you're working and earning for someone else. You could be working for Chase right now. As my buddy would say, Chase chases you down, amen. You could be working for the IRS right now. The point is that there is a certain portion of your day That is not going to you or your family, but going to your debt. And we don't have to think too hard about this. All we have to do is look at the multiple phone calls, emails, and letters in our mailbox to remind us that our creditors have something on us. Again, this is not rocket science, but this is the first truth. Debt enslaves. Now, the second truth about debt comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verses 4 through 5. Now, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is part of what is called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It was written by Solomon, who's considered to be the wisest man to ever walk this earth. And this verse, even though it doesn't actually talk about money, it talks about making a vow before God. um, This verse definitely applies to the subject that we're talking about today. Let me show you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 through 5 says this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Amen? Now, this is pretty clear, but I believe as Christians, we damage our witness when we fail here. I'm going to tell you a story. And again, I, I, uh, I recognize that some of these truths can come off a little hard. Please receive it. Please grow from it. Please allow the pains to push you towards gains. Amen? Um, 
I think as Christians, sometimes when we fail here, we're not shiny people. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks. What does it look like to be shiny people, people that shine their light so that the world will see. They allow their good deeds to be seen so that they wouldn't get the glory, but their Father in heaven would get the glory. I think we fail to shine here as Christians sometimes. Now, let me give you a story. Over the years, I've known um, business owners and people who've owned multiple properties. And because many of them also love Jesus and they seek to honor Jesus with what they have been given, I've seen them give uncommon grace. I've seen them extend deadlines. Um, I've seen them even apply major discounts to those in need. But here's the unsettling part of all the different kinds of people that have taken advantage of them over the years. Many times it's been other Christians who borrow, expect discounts, and fail to pay back. I've even heard stories of pastors who rent homes from them. They've already been given major discounts because they're pastors, yet they are continually late with their payments, and some don't even pay at all. There even is a story of a particular pastor who was given a discount, who rented a particular place out. Not only did he pay late, most of the time he didn't pay at all. And when the family left the house, they left the house a mess. Shambles. Holes in the wall. Dirty carpets. Growing up and hearing some of these stories, it made me angry. And what I'm about to say to you is not very gospel. So forgive me. I'm going to show you some of my weakness here. But hearing these stories made me never want to become a Christian. Made me never want to become a Christian who gives. I'm sorry. Hearing these stories made me never to want to become a Christian who's always looking for discounts. I want to be a Christian who is looking to discount. I want to be a Christian in my life who never is looking for a blessing, but is always trying to be a blessing. Now, please don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love discounts. Amen. I love discounts. I love them. I love them. If you want to give them to me, I got no problem with that. Um, Some of us, we are in times in our lives where we need help from others. And it's good and, and it's right to receive charity in a humble, thankful way. But let me just say this. At the very least, I want to be known as a man who pays back what he owes who pays it back on time and takes care of those things that have been lent to me that don't belong to me but have been entrusted to me. Scripture says it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay it back. Let's look at Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 7 through 8 here. says this, pay to all what is owed to them. Amen? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. It's very, very clear, very, very simple in Scripture. If you owe, pay. If you owe, pay. If someone has done work for you, pay them. 
And it's really interesting that even for a Christian, even respect and honor is a form of currency before the Lord. Even respect and honor is a form of currency before the Lord. I, I just have two thoughts that kind of pop from this. It's, as, fo- as followers of Christ, um, we don't give honor to someone because they deserve it. Take note of this, okay? As followers of Christ, we don't give honor to someone because they deserve it. We give honor to them because God requires it. Amen? So, as we're thinking about debt, as we're thinking about debts we owe right now, as our minds are racing, some of us feel buried in debt. Some of us feel very convicted by this message, wondering when are we going to get to the gospel. Um, As we think about our debts, let us not forget that there is a debt of honor and there is a debt of respect that God requires us to pay. And so as you are thinking about this, if the Holy Spirit is also speaking to you um, about a debt of honor and a debt of respect, include that. Maybe ask yourself the question, do I have a debt of honor that I need to repay to somebody? Not because maybe they have earned it in my life. In fact, maybe it's been the opposite, but because God has at least required that of me. The second thing that has come from this, the second truth um, and, and really, this kind of gets us to the second truth. If you remember, the first truth was debt in slaves. The second truth that flows out of this is this, that debt is to be paid. Somebody's like, wow, this is deep stuff here. <laughs> uh, debt in slaves, debt is to be paid. God bless you. Amen. So let's review. Number one, debt in slaves. Number two, debt is to be repaid. And I said this, in many ways we could stop right here, but there is a third truth revealed to us in Scripture that will connect us to the gospel. Amen? You should be excited about that. There is a third truth in Scripture that will connect us to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now, God gives Israel an unusual prescription here. Let's look at it. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. Powerful. Um, In Scripture, this special year was called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. Now, I want you to see this. Not only does debt enslave, and not only is debt to be paid, but there is a category of thinking within Scripture that suggests debt owed can be canceled. And even though the concept of the year of Jubilee is only found in the Old Testament, Jesus speaks many parables in the New Testament that have to do with masters canceling the debts of those who owe them. Now, why in the world would somebody ever want to do that? You see, the first two truths, they make sense. But why would I ever consider forgiving someone who owes me so much? Well, here's why. Because canceled debt is the essence of the gospel. Canceled debt 
is the essence of the gospel. You see, up to this point, nothing I've said in this message has been uniquely Christian. In fact, you can go to Amazon, buy Debt for Dummies, and probably learn what I just told you in the first 15 minutes of today's sermon. But when you and I begin to consider canceling someone else's debt against us, that is when you and I began to really walk into what it means to look like Jesus. What do I mean by this? All of humanity, including you and I, we owe an insurmountable amount of sin debt before a holy God. But the beauty of the gospel is that our debt of sin to God has been fully canceled by the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. All of humanity, including you and I, we owe an insurmountable amount of sin debt before a holy God. But the beauty of the gospel is that our debt of sin to God has been fully canceled by the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team just to get ready. I'm not saying that you have to cancel debts, amen? Some of you here are like, I have to cancel. I am not making this a law. This is not a requirement of the law. So please don't feel like you have to cancel a debt this morning, okay? Uh, here's what I am saying. When we cancel debts, we minister the gospel. And we give the person who owes us a debt a glimpse, albeit extremely small, of what Christ has done for us. Amen? You don't have to cancel a debt. In fact, I, I understand you need to repay. But if you find yourself in a place where that thought comes and you pray and the Holy Spirit might lead you, you don't cancel the debt just to cancel the debt. But you cancel it so that that individual could get a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to finish the message today by reading a story and then sharing the gospel. You guys are going to hang up here just a little bit longer. I love it. You guys look nice. But we're going to get ready. I want them to get ready because after I read this scripture and just give you a breakdown of the gospel, we just want to end today in a little bit of worship. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to follow along and open up with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36, I was mentioning to my wife the other day, when I read from my Bible, I have to lean in. My eyes are not what they used to be. Please pray as we all get, somebody like, yeah, that's just called getting older. Um, so, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the story, then I'm going to share the gospel with you this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 7. Verse 36. And we'll go all the way to 50. It reads like this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. It's Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house. And he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now let me just make a couple of observations. A woman of the city who was a sinner 
There's only a couple of guesses that you can guess as to what her sin was. She was a woman of the city. She was indeed a prostitute. And she comes in with an expensive amount of ointment or what we would call perfume. Let's continue with the story of verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This is not a seductive act. This is an act of worship. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus was who he says he was, if he was really from God, if he was really as holy as he says that he was, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering him, so he perceived what Simon was thinking. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, uh-oh, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Of course, he didn't know what was coming. And Jesus answers by telling a story. He says this, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii. And the other owed him 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Three observations from the text regarding the gospel. Three observations from the text regarding the gospel, and then we're going to worship. Observation number one, she loved much because she understood that she had been forgiven much. She loved much because she understood that she had been forgiven much. What do I mean by that? Her passion, her affection, her willingness to take a risk and worship Jesus in such a way that would cause others to mock her and ridicule her was fueled by an understanding of the depths of her sin and the heights of Jesus' love. This idea of debt is so important for us to understand, not just because we can gain financial freedom, but because it has everything to do with how deeply we love God. Observation number two. He loved little because he was ignorant to the depths of his debt. He loved little because he was ignorant to the depths of his debt. Simon's problem was that he was more aware of and more concerned about the sin of the woman than he was more aware of and concerned about his own sin. Listen, little passion 
and shallow love are the results of spiritual ignorance. Let me explain. People like Simon, they think they can actually afford to pay God back. They go to church. They give to the offering. They may even give to the poor and to the needy, thinking that their good deeds are being credited to their heavenly account as payment to God. And I want you to hear me out. I want you to listen. Whenever I feel like my love for Christ is low, whenever I feel like my passion for the things of God is diminishing, whenever I'm feeling empty, whenever I'm feeling dry, whenever I don't feel like I want to worship him with my life, whenever I'm feeling like worship is less of a delight and more of a duty, you want to know what? I know it's because I've started to walk in a way that suggests God owes me. In times like these, I need to stop, and it happens to me, so please don't feel bad if it happens to you. This is part of our sin. In times like this, it's important for me to stop, to recalibrate, to remember that my deep love for Jesus, my deep passion to serve him and his church with my life does not come out of an understanding of how good I am, but out of an understanding of how merciful and gracious he has been to a sinner like me. And so when I'm running low on passion, I'm running low on worship, I'm running empty and dry, and everything else makes more sense and is more important than my loving Jesus, it is probably because I fall into a lifestyle pattern that suggests that he owes me or that I'm somehow paying him back. Finally, number three, when you know how much you owe, you can appreciate how much he paid. When you know how much you owe, you can appreciate how much he paid. Sin against an infinitely holy God requires an infinite payment. And guess what? You don't have enough time to pay him back. But God gave me Jesus who has lived an infinitely perfect life. And here's the gospel. Are you ready for this? For those of you that are being burdened by this sermon, you feel a weight of burden, this is going to release you right here. Here's the beauty of the gospel. In his life, Jesus has earned for us what we could never earn for ourselves. That beautiful, you feel that? You feel that weight just being lifted right there? <laughs> in his perfect life, he has earned what you and I in our imperfect life will of sin could never earn on our own. I feel the weight lifting. And here it goes. In his death, come on, Jesus has paid for us what we could never fully pay for ourselves. Come on. In his perfect life, he has earned for us what we couldn't earn for ourselves. And in his death, he has paid for us what we could never pay for ourselves. When we know how much we owe, we can appreciate how much he paid. This changes my worship. This changes everything. 
It's no longer a duty, it's a delight. It's no longer I have to, but I want to. My worship, my lifestyle is no longer a list of rules and regulations. And Christianity is just so full of burden. No, I'm free. And in my freedom, I choose to love him with all my life, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all of my wallet. It's my freedom to do that. How could I not? He's so beautiful. And the only reason why I wouldn't is, is because I don't understand the depths of my debt. And so he's freed us in this beautiful gospel. So I want to finish this morning just by praying over you. And I'm just going to give you kind of a, a January, uh, just an opportunity for the month of January, the rest of the month, uh, as we continue through this series um, just an opportunity for you to pray through and reflect on a couple of things first acknowledge your sins more make a list if you have to and if you're making your list and you can't get past three or four then you that's probably part of your problem acknowledge your sins number two second take time to worship every week what do I mean by that I mean, just create a regular space in 2019 to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. Because even though your sins are many, they've been forgiven. And finally, begin to pray about what it looks like to honor God in your finances. Begin to pray about what it looks like to give him everything. If that means starting out with a plan to get out of debt so be it make it happen so that you continue to move towards a place where you could honor and glorify God in that area that means to start to budget because you've never done that before move in that direction to begin to budget somebody once said budget is a way that you dominate your money if you don't budget your money will dominate you as we continue towards the finish of this sermon series and what it means to be generous living I'm hoping to build more practically every week so that by the end of week four we will understand what it really means to be shiny as followers of Christ even in our finances so heavenly father I'm so thankful for a church that is not afraid to grapple with subjects uh, that your scripture grapples with, that maybe other places, other people might be a little nervous to grapple with because it may be taken wrong. Lord, we know that your gospel and your word has something beautifully to say to the world. We're not ashamed. Something intelligent and beautiful to say to the world. We will declare that from the pulpit all the way down uh, to our homes and to our neighborhoods. And so, Lord, may we be shiny people. Uh, may we worship you with our finances but above and beyond that if there's anyone feeling the yoke the pain the the heavy weight of sin in their finances pray that the god we would apply the gospel right now and that in applying the gospel we would be set free of religion of guilt and of shame and we'd be set free to worship you in spirit and truth and out of a worship heart we would move in health and not dysfunction in our finances 
And so I love you, and I thank you for this body that you're raising up here in the Bay Area in Union City. Uh, may we honor and glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We love you guys. We'll see you guys. Enjoy your connects. Let's talk about it this week, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. We love you.